Chapter 90 البلد The city I swear by the city, Mecca. This chapter, similar to other short chapters, begins with God asserting a solemn oath. Some scholars opine that the prefix la to the oath configuration la uqsimu is positioned for emphasis and is not the la of negation. This phrase is repeated eight times in the Quran, and every time it is invoked in the name of a magnificent phenomenon. This city refers to Mecca, thus this oath could be interpreted as I do not want to assert an oath to this city, although it is worthy of such given its sanctity, or indeed I do swear by this city. Either way, it shows the high regard in which Mecca is held. Mecca's barren landscape rendered cultivation impossible and offered almost no financial or professional prospects for its inhabitants except for the Qurayshi elite and a few local tribesmen. You, O Prophet, are a resident of this city. The first solemn oath is taken in the name of Mecca, Muhammad's hometown and its status. History testifies that Muhammad had a very difficult childhood. This orphaned Qurayshi child, the product of a long history of pain and suffering, was commissioned to start his prophetic ministry in a place inundated with poverty, backwardness and spiritual ignorance, a reality that only exacerbated his own pain and misery. By the Begetter and the Begotten The second oath is vowed in the name of every parent or child, regardless of gender, and to whatever else is born. In this verse, God takes an oath on any birth by a woman or a female animal, as birth is generally associated with extreme pain and suffering. The more evolved the species is, the more painful the process. Truly, we created humanity to toil in hardship. The upshot and conclusion of the two oaths are discussed in this verse. The word kabad, misery or distress, denotes that a person is afflicted with suffering and hardship. God's taking oaths on Mecca's condition and the Prophet's turbulent life there to carry a special significance. In short, the first two oaths point to the pain and suffering of life, childbirth, and in general, anything that is born, grows, and develops in this world. Hardship and suffering made Muhammad the person that he turned out to be. Similarly, those who long to grow in humanity and nurture their inner self and character must strive hard. This is true no matter what kind of goal is being pursued, for striving is integral as there are no shortcuts to success. What propel people to rise to the occasion are the challenges they face in life. Thus, one can conclude from these examples that humans are created in hardship. The next verse addresses those who mistakenly imagine they will somehow be spared from such things. Does he think that none will ever have power over him to take him to task? Do people think that they are independent and self-sufficient, that their limited power is more compelling and mightier than his?
do they think that they can attain everything by resorting to their knowledge base and powerful intellects? Have they ever wondered who originally endowed them with this power? The particle len is prefixed to a future tense verb to denote an impossibility. Such people will never believe that an omnipotent power has full control over them. Do they imagine that they will never be held responsible for their words and deeds? He says, I have wasted much wealth. They want to show their might by throwing away their wealth on frivolous things. In fact, they take delight in boasting about doing so. For, how I spend my money is nobody's business. Does he think that no one sees him? Do they imagine that the universe has no manager or watcher? Do they surmise that they can do as they wish because they have free will and will never be called to account because the whole universe revolves around them? This is the mentality of those who have no use for logic, principles, law, religion, or conscience. Such people's logic is, we are free to do as we please, so whatever lifestyle we choose is nobody's business. The following verses reiterate and elaborate upon a few reminders. Did we not endow him with two eyes? Sight is a complex faculty that exists even in the womb's abject darkness, although a fetus has no use for it and cannot imagine how it might be utilized. Specific autonomic functions control muscle that enables the eyes to focus on objects both near and far. The muscles of the iris control how much light enters the eyes, and the secretions from the lacrimal gland keep their corneas moist. Yet the eyes perform many other functions as well, such as the light reflex. So this verse poses the question, Who has granted you this gift of two symmetrical eyes, if not us? How would we perceive objects if we had only one eye? For if that were the case, we could not perceive depth or discern distance, perspective and dimension. A tongue and two lips. The Quran usually cites the three parts of the body that raise humans' understanding and awareness. One's eyes, ears and heart. This verse, however, replaces ears with lips and tongue perhaps because hearing only functions when there is a sound that can be heard and understood. On the other hand, it has a totally unrelated second function, to enable us to differentiate at least four if not more tastes. It mixes food with saliva and then moves it around the mouth to shape it into balls or small pieces so that it can be swallowed. Who makes this possible if not God? Who gifted humanity with such blessings and aptitude? Truly, what could we achieve in the absence of sight, hearing, and speech? And guide him to the two highways, grateful versus ungrateful and defiant versus God-awareness. Najdain means two conspicuous high planes, namely, the domains of virtue and vice. God has not abandoned humanity to its own devices, but has in fact provided a criterion 
by which its members can distinguish between good and evil, beauty and ugliness, halal and haram. The Quran details these conflicting and divergent poles. This guidance ranges from informing the body's organs of how to perform their duties to directing people to the right path by sending prophets to relay his religious principles and precepts, sharia. And yet, he allows each person to select either the path of gratitude or ingratitude, deny his existence, or claim that he or she is the result of nature's blind and purposeless forces. Yet he has not attempted the steep path and difficult ascent. Aqaba means a steep, narrow, and difficult ascent, like the road in the upper part of a mountain. Iqtahama carries the general meaning of accepting difficult tasks. The verse conveys the point that people are unwilling to undertake life's challenges. And what will make you understand what the steep path is? The Quran uses metaphorical language to explain that just as ascending a mountain is demanding, many of life's tasks are also onerous and require great exertion. However, many people do not want to deal with the discomfort and therefore prefer to ignore such facts. The next few verses enumerate some of these challenges. It is to free a slave. The verse is made up of two words, fak, to separate or split, and raqaba, neck. But what is separating the neck supposed to mean? Humans are under the false pretense that they are free, whereas the invisible rope, namely our whims and caprices, wrapped around our necks, keeps us in bondage. The truth is that we are all prisoners of that which consumes our attention and energy and compels us to seek it incessantly, be it wealth, power, position, lust, or something else. All shackles that prevent us from attaining spiritual growth and perfection. The metaphor of freeing the neck is also used to impress upon us that we can become free only by liberating ourselves from that which has enslaved us, or to feed the destitute on a day of hunger. If one cannot emancipate a slave, consider liberating yourself from greed and possessiveness by feeding the poor and indigent so that they can move forward and be spared the self-humiliation of living the subsistence-level life of a beggar. This verse encourages people to lend a helping hand to the less fortunate during tough economic times. Truly, in today's world of socio-economic injustice, there is no excuse for anyone who can contribute something to remain apathetic and blind. An orphaned relative If emancipating a slave or feeding the indigent are not options, then consider searching within your extended family for orphans whom you can help. Orphans are not necessarily those whose parents have died, for in truth, all of those who must fend for themselves are orphans. Regretfully, our modern world is plagued with this major social problem. Or a poor person in dire need, poor or indigent, miskeen, denotes any person who has come to a standstill, sukun, 
and can no longer move forward due to a physical or mental handicap or disability, low economic status, and so on. One can start by helping out those who are unable to meet their most basic needs and, as a result, cannot pursue an ordinary life and make progress. If you were to help such people, how would this experience affect you? Would you experience any change and or alteration in your worldview? The next verse answers this question and underlines the transformation of those who free their necks by helping others. Then one will be of those who keep the faith and exhort one another to patience and perseverance and exhort one another to compassion. This verse begins with thumma, then, and kana, bring into existence, to signify that character building and societal advancement are the result of passing through trials and tribulations. This process consists of three steps, entering into a state of safety and security, aman, enjoining mutual patience, sabr, and finally, Mutual compassion, marhama. Interestingly, this combination of patience and compassion occurs only in this verse. The first part of the phrase indicates the process of self-liberation from the bondage of one's ego, whereas the second part involves that person's attempts to free society from its chains. In the greater scheme of things, it means the ability to free everyone from their internal and external chains. Unlike the previous verses, which are addressed to the individual, this verse brings a teamwork-related problem to our attention, points out several virtues that should be manifested during such projects, patience and compassion, affection and forgiveness. The imperative tawaso, mutual counseling, denotes ongoing mutual advising and encouragement so that all involved can imbibe virtues. So the phrase Exhort one another to patience and compassion reminds us of the need to invoke perseverance, affection, and forgiveness so that we will not find ourselves on the verge of losing patience or feeling unappreciated. These are some of the hazards of engaging in teamwork. The righteous must advise one another to be patient, kind, and forgiving so that they may bring their benevolent social project to a successful conclusion. They are the companions of the right. Such people always grow in spiritual perfection and flourish, just like flowers that are always fresh, growing, and blooming. When they associate with others, their qualities become imbued in them because it is their nature to bloom and flourish. Indeed, this is the path of Maimana, flourishing. And as for those who disbelieve in our signs, they are the companions of the left. In contrast, those who deny our signs are destined to come to an evil end. Kafaru, deny, literally means to cover, as in, they cover our signs by not utilizing, for example, their ears and eyes for their intended purpose and ignore his command to climb the uphill road of ascendance. They expect their path to be one of ease and comfort at all times. This is similar to a student who desires to become educated without engaging in any serious prolonged studying. 
What a tragedy for those who spend their lives in ignorance, idleness, and inattentiveness, for they are making no provision for their final journey. They have cursed their existence and lost themselves in evil, and upon them is a fire enclosed. They will be burned by the fire that originates within their own selves and overwhelms them.